Hi, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Robbins, and this is our second season where we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, we have Dr. Sue on the show. Dr. Sue grew up in California where he completed college at UC Irvine and medical school at UCLA. Midway through medical school, he pursued research interests at the National Institutes of Health in Washington, D.C., and ultimately completed a doctoral degree at the University of Oxford. Oxford. He completed his psychiatry residency at Mass General Hospital and McLean Hospital. Dr. Sue subsequently moved to New York City, where in addition to having a private practice, he has been trained by MAPS in MDMA-assisted psychotherapy and provides ketamine-facilitated psychotherapy. That being said, he is not here today to talk about those therapies, but rather uh, about alignment. And I'm really excited because I've been talking a lot about death on this show and in season two kind of shifting and I'll be talking about death, but also about life. So today we, you and I are going to dig into this and it's perfect for the new year. So welcome to the show. All right. Um, thanks for having me. And uh, I'll, I'll take your intro though. And I'll say, maybe we will all end up talking about psychedelics <laughs> a little bit. Right. At some point, at some uh-huh. point, but not, not the whole show yeah, about psychedelics. No, no, no. I know we were talking before we got on about how like that's such an interest for people. Yeah. Um, and you're certainly an expert in it, but you're getting, you're really pursuing this notion of alignment. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what exactly alignment means? Yeah, and um, interestingly, yes, I'll, I'll give a little bit of background. So, I mean, this came to me because through psychedelics and through healing, I was trying to like figure out why am I doing all this stuff, you know, and what's the ultimate goal. And so that's when I started thinking of this is is really um, being about alignment for each of us as individuals. And so, when I think about alignment, I think about you know, so if, if we're talking about alignment, we have some, we have to have something that we're aligning to, and we also have to have things that are misaligned. And I like to think about that thing that we're aligning to, you know, there's a few different words to it to me there. It could be, um, in the true self, the authentic self, the heart, but to me, all of those describe like an essence, something that's like unique mm-hmm. within each of us that almost was there from the moment we say we're conceived or born. And, you know, I think that and so I, I think that resonates with most people. And so, and, and so I think the, the pieces that I think we need to align are things that, that get off track. And I like to categorize those in three different areas. I like to think of it as mind, voice, and body. Um, and I ended up finding that those are really helpful to think about because as you know, being trained in Western medicine and Western psychology as a therapist, we really have focused mostly only on the mind. And what I started realizing is that, especially, you know, in this day and age of growing social media, is that the mind, which I think part of that is language, you know, everyone's posting the right quote out there or reading the right books, but they're still kind of, you know, struggling in everyday life. They're still being jerks to their friends or their brothers and sisters. And so I started realizing, wait, it's not just knowing it in our mind. And I, I'm not blaming people because that, that's a step in the right direction. Then how, right. how do we speak from that place? of knowledge and integrity 
And then, and then another step of it is how do we then act with our bodies? How do we go out and do the things that we're doing in the world with our work or engaging with other people physically um, that is in alignment? And so I think mm-hmm. about how um, really what, what gets us misaligned in any of those categories, you know, there are things like family, culture, religion, society that start kind of telling us, oh, no, don't believe your true self, actually. There's these other things that, that, that you should replace with them. And so I think of this healing process, the alignment process, this is to kind of, you know, rediscovering ourselves. And when you're talking about true self, yeah. uh, self with a capital S or sort of more of like a soul kind of essence, this is- you know, like how do you differentiate ego so yeah, ego. So it's interesting. So I, I don't. It's interesting. So I, I don't know the distinction between capital S. I, I see that distinct when it, in reading and stuff. Actually, I haven't dove into mm-hmm. that far myself. But it was interesting. So my spiritual teacher, a guy named Ron Young, who um, we had a training by him last week. He was talking about healers, and his training was like healers, or sorry, it was healing for healers of the world. So essentially, all of us that, that work with him are healers, and he's like he believes that healers do two things. He says healers help spirit come into the material form or they help Mm. people transition out of it, which is interesting as we're talking about life and death, because I think I I loved his description of that because when I think of bringing spirit to the material form, that's what I think of as healing. Like, you know, we, we come from a place, you know, and he likes to describe that place or God with the term that which is greater you know so it doesn't actually say god or jesus or or allah it's just that which is greater and so i would say you know what's beautiful and fascinating about this human experience is that we materialize into humans we have bodies we appear to be separate from everyone else and so when i use his description of bringing spirit into the material form i think of so how do we how has spirit manifested within each of us uniquely you know, and, and I like the way that, to look at that because it's not saying my right is your right or my, you know, my, my calling and my alignment is different than yours. It happens to seem that, you know, love is at the core of all this, but, but we each manifest that differently with different gifts to the world. And so that's, that's the, kind of a long-winded answer of saying um, what I think of as the self, so kind of mm-hmm. the expression of spirit within each person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how, can you give an example of how you would sort of align mind, voice, body? Like what, what would that look like? Sure. I mean, I know it's not simple, right? Because well, we do complex work. No, well, it's, it's complex. And I actually, interestingly, the, the way I think about healing, the more experience I have both healing myself and healing other people is that it seems simpler and simpler, honestly, like, which, which feels good in a way. Um, you know, so an example that I think about recently, something that happened to me. So I was, you know, one of the things I'm really working on right now is dating. Um, and, you know, just a little bit of background, you know, yes, I have long hair right now. I have piercings. I wear jewelry, but, and, you know, I, I work with psychedelics, but I'm 39 at 33. Um, I hadn't really ever done any drugs. I tried marijuana like five times. Um, and a lot of that was a result of me being raised Jehovah's Witness meaning like I was not the type of person who was out there partying, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not Jehovah's Witness anymore, and I haven't been since my mid-teens. But um, in terms of, you know, the example I'm going to give with dating, you know, like, uh, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, like many other 
um, or, or other Christian religions will start, you know, will say that, you know, sex before marriage, uh, masturbation, etc., is is evil. You're going to go to hell. And so, um, so, you know, a distinction between mind and body, for instance, is that my mind now as a 39-year-old adult who's been in psychotherapy doesn't believe anymore that I will go to hell if I have mm-hmm. sex before marriage or but my body in a way still holds the history of that trauma, meaning like, uh, will I be able, and so does my voice. Like if I'm out, whether it's in a subway or, or some sort of social gathering, I see a woman that I find attractive and I feel energy towards and I want to just go talk to. There has been like a, like a hesitation in my body to even go talk or my, I've noticed that my voice will drop. And so I was on this date like a few weeks ago, or actually no, now it's been a couple of months where I really wanted, I was excited to meet this person and I definitely felt an energy and there was like, you know, a real connection in the conversation. But then there was a next step where where it felt like there was an opportunity where I could have said something like, Hey, I'm really interested in you. I wonder if you, you know, are you, do you think of me romantically in any way? I wonder if you might be interested in like dating or something, but because of fear of saying that or feeling that it was the bad thing, this is all happening pretty unconsciously. Right, I didn't take right. that. And then we got into a conversation about like, how many brothers and sisters do you have? Like, oh, how long have you lived in New York? Like, and I was seeing my voice veer from what my heart wanted to do. So in a way, that's like the misalignment of the voice and the mind. And then my mm-hmm. body also, you know, I, I, I became more nervous. I became more tense. I was crossing my legs. My voice became less deep and less confident. So it's kind of like a trickle effect of how all three of, you know, mind, body, voice were no longer being in alignment with like what my being was wanting to do in that moment. And Mm -hmm. so that can also kind of demonstrate perhaps, you know, that each of those can kind of, I mean, even they're all very related, but they can be different levels of healing also, right? So in the beginning for me, it was realizing, oh yeah, the mind part. Yeah, so I don't believe anymore that I'll go to hell. But then the voice also, like, can I speak with integrity? What happens if, you know, what part of this is being fearful that this person's not going to be interested? And then, yeah, so all sorts of things. So that's kind of a, one example of, of. Okay, that that that's much clearer. And then how do you shift that, right? Because it's it's... I don't know what types of therapy you've been in. I was in really long-term therapy for a really long time. Yeah. And, you know, it's this process of making kind of all these unconscious um, patterns, beliefs, stories, however you want to see it, conscious. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you sort of shift that more quickly so you can live in alignment with those three things? Yeah, and so I end up, I mean, so, you know, I mean, there's no typical client per se, but I'm, I have all three of those, you know, mind, voice, body on my mind all the time. And I think by nature, the type of person who comes and sees me, like most of my clients at this point come because of they read something that I put out there or they listen to me on a podcast, kind of know my vibe already. So meaning like Mm -hmm. most of my clients are into meditation. I do meditate with my patients, you know, I, I do some internalization, some somatic experiencing type body work. I do breath work in my sessions. I play a Shruti box and we do chanting. Um, so that's kind of, and I have a lot of experience with traditional talk therapy also. So that's kind of the mm-hmm. different tools that I have, but you know, it's really just seeing where meeting the person where they're at and depending on which issue that they're struggling with, you know, I mean, not by surprise, most people are, are, in here discussing relationships. And so Mm -hmm. it's looking at, 
you know, oh, I've been with this person or that person for X amount of time, um, you know, where, you know, it's been really rough and we're trying to work through it. But, you know, say like, is one with that person because of comfort, because of it's, it's, it's less scary than being single and putting yourself out there and finding more people, you know, so it's, it's really, you know, and if that's the case, it's really about, okay, so what is this person doing for you? Like, is this in alignment with what you want? Are, are you mm-hmm. hoping this person is going to change? You know, because how many people do we know that say, okay, yeah, you know, I'm having really having a lot of problems with my significant other right now. Um, and I, I don't know, I think of it kind of like, how many people have you met who are like, yeah, you know, I, we really, we were together for three or four years and we, we fought a lot and we were using each other's like um, insecurity gets against each other. But you know what, we really spent a few years working through that and it's really beautiful now. You know what I mean? Like, like no one actually ends up going through that. <laughs> But how many people do we know that are in relationships that are like that, where they're hoping it's mm-hmm. going to be different that, okay, no, this right. was the last fight that was, and then it's just people maintain themselves in these cycles. So part of it's kind of showing the, the pattern of um, behavior that they are contributing to. So, and then and, and mm-hmm. another piece is like showing people that, okay, well, you're very much in control of that pattern and you're creating it. And that, that's a pretty big mm-hmm. step for people. Um, I have a mentor who says, if you do it, you dig it. Meaning, because people will come in here and say, oh my God, well, this is happening. But but really it's saying, look, you you have essentially full control over the situation and you're keeping yourself in it, which mm-hmm. that in itself tends to be a big, um, I mean, the way I work with people, like they, I ended up introducing that to where it's not like painful to where they're like never going to show up again, but it's right. No, I totally get it. But I tell people like, look, but being able to own that actually tells you that you are also in full control of changing this for yourself. Because if we're saying the problem mm-hmm. is that person or this friend or that lover, you know, it disempowers us because then it's saying, oh, that my happiness is out of my control. So it's kind of a double-edged mm-hmm. sword sort of thing. Mm-hmm. No, I like that. If you, what was you it? If it, you, you dig it. <laughs> it's kind of a cruel way. I think there's, a, there's probably a nicer way to, to say that, but it's a way of remembering it that's really... Right. No, no, no. And I say to people all the time, like, okay, what are you getting out of this? Well, nothing. Well, not really, because you're still doing it. So you're getting some sort of secondary, secondary gain out of doing it. Right. And they're like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Okay, well, let's, let's talk about that. Um, So, you know, there's so many wellness trends out there right now. And I think to your point, like everybody might, not everybody, I don't want to make assumptions, but people tend to be perhaps dabbling a little bit here, dabbling a little bit there, but then not really doing anything to actively embody and align with those. What do you recommend for people? You know, I think, you know, I think they're just, you know, and it's part of what we were talking about is realizing how much agency we each have to manifest the reality that we want. Um, again, because there's a safety or a protection to saying the answer is outside of me. But again, it comes with the, the reality that then, again, all of, all of our healing we're saying is, is, is dependent on something else. And I think, so, you know, finding the right spiritual teacher, the right book, the right method, again, can re- feel very safe. But I think each of those hits its limit, right? I, I don't, you know, to me, it's like, if I find a teacher that says this 
is the way it's done. Just follow me and you will find your healing. I'm like, that's a huge signal to just walk the other way because it, mm-hmm. you know, the, the teachers I've respected the most are the healers are the ones that are really saying, look, I'm just facilitating you and your own healing of yourself. And, and mm-hmm. that's why I like the way I think about the, the alignment piece. Cause I'm like, this is up to you. I can't tell you, like I'm a type of therapist that I was taught by one of my early supervisors, like don't give advice. He's like, the only time you tell anyone what to do is if they're physically or sexually being abused and it's dangerous. They're like, otherwise you help people figure out what they want to do or it's just not going to stick. And so mm-hmm. that's the way I think of, of my work with people is really, I just go into it being like, I, I think I have a good sense, but I don't know in the end, it's really about this person. And so it's really about building a trust for yourself. And so I think all these methods can, you know, most of them can be helpful, but just don't get lost in any one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And use them use them as tools. Yeah. Yeah. Really just seeing them as tools. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that really that, that we're, you know, and, and I like terms like remembering, remembering who we are or relearning who we are. It's not like we're trying to discover something that we, that, you know, that we don't know. Again, the, the essence of this true self, the authentic self is that we were born with it. And it's really mm-hmm. about unlearning the stuff again from culture, family, religion that has clouded all that. But it's really just about, mm-hmm. and, and what I like about that also is that it's people I think can also get in this cycle of trying to heal. You know, oh, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. But, you know, um, the same mentor that I was thinking about that gave me that quote would say something like, okay, well, you know, he gave me the example of, of a cup of water and he's, there was a cup of water next to me. He's like, well, try to pick up that cup of water. And what I did was like most people, I like grabbed the cup and pick, he's like, no, he's like, try to pick it up. And so it's like, oh, that's the hesitation. And so if, we, if we're in the mindset of I'm trying to heal, we almost like build a reality around us that is I am trying, I'm in process instead of I'm there already. Right, I am healing, right? And, and I guess that's the energetic piece yeah. of, of the fact that if you, if you are trying to, to do that, you are not already embodying that you have already done. Absolutely. So it's a block right there. Which is a big one. And I think especially within the the wellness community or the spiritual community that that kind of has the vocabulary and the knowledge. Again, it's just like, like, how do I go out and do it now? Or can I just do it now? Like I was just talking to my therapist this morning, actually, because I'm heading to Peru in about a week. And my initial intention was to go out there to an ayahuasca retreat for the bulk of that. Mm-hmm. But I, I was telling him that I think I'm going to cancel it because I was actually like, kind of the way we started talking today, I think before you started recording, I'm like, actually my life's in a very beautiful place right now, but I've been used to every time I take time off, it's been for some sort of retreat or teaching, et cetera, where I'm like, can I just go out and have fun now? Like, like, yeah, I actually mm. get up. and that's not saying I'm like enlightened or I'm perfect, but I'm like, actually, you know, I, I can, I don't feel as much urgency as I used to. I think I can just go out and enjoy mm-hmm. myself and just kind of, you know, continue the journey when I get back. Mm-hmm. It's almost like sometimes the seeking of how to be more present gets in the way of us just being present. Yeah. It becomes right? like a thing to do. It becomes part of our identity. Yeah. Right. And I think it's right. interesting because I mean, I, you know, you know, we are living in a capitalistic society and wellness is only growing as a, a business. And so, you know, just the same way that a lot of people in the wellness and spiritual community have um, 
criticize, say, big pharma, which I think with, re- with, with good reason, saying like, oh, pharma in medicine, Western medicine isn't there to really heal people, right? We want to keep people chronically sick so they keep spending. You know, I see some of that happening in the wellness community. You know, it's like, oh, keep coming to my retreats, keep buying my books, keep doing this. And, and because if we really were healing people, the industry, you know, you know is, isn't going to continue to be super profitable in the Right. And I think, too, that even the notion of healing is this this notion that in some way you are at some point healed Mm -hmm. versus calling it like growing. Yeah. Right. Because then there's really no end to it. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting one, because I I mean, for myself personally, I like I hope there's an end to it, because even when I get to say we talk about Buddhism and Hinduism and reincarnation. I mean, there is such a thing as being enlightened or the uh, bodhisattvas that are, you know, could mm-hmm. be enlightened, but choose to come back. And I, I mean, that is where my spiritual beliefs lie. Um, I don't think I'm enlightened yet. <laughs> Just in case yeah. you're wondering. I, I've got but, a um, long way I do, to I do think that there's sure. something to saying that it, it's possible. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, that would be a, yeah. I mean, this is all kind of, it gets messy around that edge right there for sure yeah i like that messy kind of more i don't know theoretical heady philosophical (laughs) yeah but i mean the reality is like you know i i i I, the more i've started to trust that there is this process is that like when i do see in my personal life what i would have considered really painful things i actually almost i really have a trust now saying ah this is another opportunity for growth and and that's almost Mm -hmm. made life or not almost, it's made life more fun. It, like mm-hmm. a part of me is like, wait, maybe I, even if there is such a thing as enlightenment, I don't, I'm not really in a rush to get there because this process that we're in is actually a pretty cool one. Like, mm-hmm. and if someone designed this human experience as the, the kind of video, I was thinking about almost like a video game, like, uh, you know, yeah. Like, oh, virtual like, reality. Cool. We don't need like, virtual reality. For a little while. Right. Yeah. So what are some of the tools that, we can use to, to get in alignment. Like you said, you use some of them in your, in your practice. Yeah. And can you talk about why you use? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if we start with the mind for me, you know, it's interesting because, because I definitely consider myself spiritual. I have a spiritual teacher. Um, You know, I do breath work stuff. Like a lot of people in that, interestingly in the wellness community seem to be pretty, against psychiatry, which is interesting because then I find myself like talking to people and they're like, oh, you're a psychiatrist. And I I say that because I think I I love my background in psychiatry and in psychotherapy. Like I started off very traditional with a Freudian psychoanalyst. I saw him four days a week. (laughs) He was like sitting Mm -hmm. on the, I was on a couch and he was behind me. That was like three, three plus years. Yeah. But none of that now looking back was for not. And then I had a union analyst who I worked with three days a week for another few years. But I realized like that gives me this beautiful foundation of healing the mind. Cause I think a lot of people who are just doing breath work, for instance, or just doing body work, you know, there's, there's a whole aspect of the mind that I think that, that could be missing. I think, you know, mm-hmm. I think the mind stuff for me is mostly, um, you know, is, is the foundation is within psychology. Um, and then I think of, you know, when I think of the voice, I think a big thing for people is 
just being able to speak with me and being able to say these things that they're working on out loud. But I'll also give people tests like, okay, well, if this, there's this thing that they're working on, they want to say something to one of their lovers, but they can't get themselves to do it is like writing it out as if they're talking to them, you know, and writing is a form of, mm. I think the voice and expression they can rewrite their mm -hmm. drafts and they can come in and actually read it and just saying things out loud. Like I have this person who had, had been struggling with um, their sexual identity for like their entire life basically and just being able to say like you know this is who I am and saying this is you know this is this thing and being able to just verbalize that to another human being make eye contact was a big part of the healing process and we can see kind of how the body resisted to that um, so it could be again just writing things and, and or, or saying them to me is a big part of the voice Another voice thing, um, which is not so universally available that I always mention, though, is um, vocal coaching. Like I've had a vocal coach that I've worked with mm. since February. Um, and she, um, I went into it just because I was doing more like public talks and podcasts. And I was like, oh, I just want my voice to sound better. But it ended up being one of the most amazing yeah, connections I ever made. And, and she got me into chanting and and chanting these things called Bija mantras, which are these ancient mantras that can activate the different chakras and they actually open up the body physically and you can target specific chakras that you struggle with. So that's kind of voice stuff. So that's sort of like you know, just another sense of sound healing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like the sound, the vibration. Um, and then the, the last piece would be body stuff, you know, because again, I, I really believe that the body holds trauma um, and, you know, mind-body connection, psychosomatics, all that's very real. And I and a lot of people who I think are in wellness who um, really honor the mind-body connection, you know, it looks more and more, it makes sense that it's the fascia in the body that holds these, these traumatic memories. But in Western medicine, for instance, we... Um, we were taught, and this wasn't, I wasn't in training that long ago. I'm only 39, you know, but we were being taught that fascia is dead connective tissue. Um, but really, you know, I, I don't believe that to be the case. And so if you look at a lot of people within um, Peter Levine's work of somatic experiencing or holotropic breath work, it's very, very clear, I think, that um, memory and trauma is held, you know, throughout the body, you know, and really that consciousness is not just seated in the brain or in the, you know, in the mind, but really it can be anywhere in our being. And so, um, so if my listeners don't know fascia, can you just explain that? Yeah. So fascia is really, it's just connective tissue that it, it's essentially, it surrounds all of the tissues that we have. So it surrounds our bones, our muscles, our ligaments, our organs. It, it's literally everywhere. Um, yeah. And so again, it's, it's kind of like, Again, doctors would describe it as connective tissue, but it's it really we, we don't know. And there is some research going into this, um, but it's really in its early stages. Mm -hmm. But a lot of again uh, practitioners in somatic experiencing holotropic breath work, Rolfing, they've been thinking and working with fascia for for years already. Not right? mm -hmm. to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know a lot of sort of where it's really digestible for people right now is in the notion of like myofascial release. I think yeah. people have probably heard of it. Absolutely. In that way. Yeah. Um, so how can you, how can some of the medications that you've worked with, because you do uh, MDMA and ketamine, mm -hmm. um, 
be used to help us continue to learn, grow, and align. You know, for those of us who I know primarily when I had someone on the show talking about it a little mm-hmm. while back, we talked about it in terms of the treatment of de- depression and addiction and um, anxiety and end of life. But really, how can how could the average person use this to to be in alignment? Yeah, so it's a huge topic, and see, we we ended up getting to psychedelic. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, no, but I, so Stan Groff, uh, uh, so Dr. Stan is Groff. He's a psychiatrist. He's still alive. He's, he's, he's getting up there though. He's in his eighties, but a lot of us in the psychedelic, um, research field, think of him as kind of like the, the godfather of the field. So when he was a training psychiatrist in the Czech Republic, Albert Hoffman, who discovered LSD was using, was just getting it into the clinic. So this, Stan Groff just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I mean, he ended up um, doing about 4,500 legal LSD psychotherapy sessions before LSD was made illegal. He's also the founder of Holotropic Breathwork, um, which is a whole beautiful story in and of itself. But anyway, I, I mention him because his definition of a psychedelic is my favorite. And so Stan calls psychedelics nonspecific amplifiers of the unconscious process. And I love that because there's all these people who are like, oh, no, the psychedelic means this and entheogen means this and blah, blah. But, but really what I like about Stan's definition, it's, it's basically saying it, it opens this thing that we already have access to. And it's kind of in an unpredictable way. It really depends like on the person, um, what dose, what, um, what time and place for the person. So if you or I were to take, you know, 100 micrograms of LSD today, we would have a very different experience if we took that exact same batch in a week or in six months. So it's really, you know, I think of psychedelics kind of opening up the filter to the subconscious and unconscious. And so mm-hmm. the reason I think that's helpful is just the same way, you know, psychoanalysis or meditation or breath work can help access the unconscious. Um, that said, you know, I do think that, um, you know, one, one thing I like to say about psychedelics is I feel like psychedelics are neither necessary nor sufficient for healing, but I do think they're the most powerful tools of alignment that we have when used, you know, with, with knowledge and intention. Um, because I do think, you know, there is some training or some time dedication that one has to have to have a really deep meditative practice or a deep, deep yoga practice and psychedelics in in some ways are providing this method that's easily accessible to most people to access these different parts of ourselves. Um, You know, the, so, so that's kind of, yeah, in a nutshell, what I, what I think that they're able to do is just, again, it it gives us access to this stuff that we already have. Mm -hmm. But it is not, again, like a panacea for you have this experience and then you are healed, Absolutely right? Not. It's, it's uh, sort of like a I, and I see people getting lost in that. All, I mean, I would say a lot of the times when I work with people and, and helping, because, you know, a lot of people will just email me after a podcast or, you know, um, and be like, oh, or I, oh, I just read Michael Pollan's book and, you know, can I do MDMA or ketamine with you? And it's, it's really a process of helping people understand what these are. Um, and are they ready to really see that they're really the agent of their own healing? Because a lot of people are looking for the magic bullet and, and you can have a very powerful experience, but um, 
it really is, it's the integration. You know, I like to say something like 90% of the long-term benefit of psychedelic use comes from the sober work that you do in the weeks and months after. You know, it, 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 it's, mm-hmm. it's no, it's, it's never, I've never seen it be a silver bullet for anyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So you got it. You got to do the yeah. work. There's no, that I have not found a, a way around for sure. Is the ketamine, I've, I've only seen like, I'm in Chicago and where I've seen it, it's like people are going in for, I, I don't know, ketamine sprays or, you know, nasal sprays, I think yeah. maybe. Um, but there really is sort of this psychedelic experience that people have with it. Yeah. Uh, ketamine can be incredibly powerful. Ketamine's an interesting one because I, I think there's, um, it's just a complex one because ketamine can be, there's at least four or five different routes of administration. So you can do intranasal, you can do intramuscular, you can do intravenous. Um, there's an oral uh, tablet form of ketamine. So the route of administration makes a big difference and so does the dose. And so it's actually... It's, you know, it's the only one that's fully available legally. Any doctor can prescribe it. Um, but it really, there's a lot of uh, nuances on how to use it. And so really, I think that, and it's interesting because the most marketed one right now is the nasal spray that Janssen, which is a sub-company of Johnson & Johnson, invested to get FDA approved this year. Um, and, and really, it's not a version, it's probably the version that most of us who have been working with it actually think is the least effective, but, but really it's hmm. um, for, for a variety of reasons, it's very profitable for them to do what they're doing. And so, um, but you know, one thing is that nas- the nasal spray, for instance, intra- intranasal is probably the highest um, risk for addiction within ketamine. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's lots of nuances to ketamine, but yes, it can also be an incredibly powerful tool when used right. Mm-hmm. So the lesson in this is like the lesson in everything, right? Like if used appropriately, really healing. If not, not so much. (laughs) Creating a whole nother set of of problems. Yeah. Well, thank you so much today, Will, for your time. Where can people, if they're interested in finding you, where can they find you? How do they find you? Um, I mean, I think, so there's two places. I have my website, just is willsuemd.com, um, where I have a, my private practice, but it, it's not that big of a practice, um, and I keep it small intentionally. Um, and I'm moving to Los Angeles in a week, so um, my practice will be out of there. But in 2020, I'm going to be doing more uh, workshops and retreats and stuff. And so, um, my Instagram, I, I maintain as kind of a professional Instagram. So things like workshops and, and writing and that stuff I put there. So it's just will.su.md on Instagram. So that would probably be the best place. Great. And I'll have all those links in my, uh, show notes as well. So wonderful. thank you. Thank you so much today right. for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? curious about what comes next and what it all means, you can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life, death, and the space between and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have. Let me know what else you'd love to hear about or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.